Before we get to the interview proper, I just want to take this time to apologize for the audio. Joseph's audio is fine. It's perfect, in fact. It's my half of the interview that's the problem. Skype, for whatever reason, decided that instead of using the high-quality microphone that I spent a week readjusting and testing the levels of, the one you're listening to now, in fact, to instead record from the crappy built-in laptop mic. I tried to fix it by evening out the levels as best I could, but there's only so much I can do. So, again, I just want to apologize for and to warn you of the poor audio. Thankfully, I don't speak all that much as I'm the interviewer, and it shouldn't detract from the interview too much. I also want to say that I have uninstalled the drivers to the laptop mic to ensure this won't happen again. So, thank you and enjoy. Welcome to the CDC Podcast, episode 48. I'm your host, Eric Swain, and with me this time is YouTube critic Joseph Anderson. Hello, thanks for having me. So, what inspired you to go into video-based games criticism? What inspired me? Hmm. Sort of a petty thing, really, but, well, there were a lot of reasons, but the main one that made me want to start with Dark Souls, as I did, that was my first video, was that a lot of criticism being flown around for the sequel, which is a game that I really like a lot. I think that the first game is better than the second game, definitely. But a lot of the criticism that I felt that was being thrown at Dark Souls 2 was also very much valid for the first game. And I felt like there was, it's too strong of a word, but it, an, an injustice was going on that the first one was getting a free pass on a lot of things that the second one was getting criticized for. Like I said, there's more to it than that, but that that was the main thing that was started brewing in my head because it took me at least a year, maybe even two years of, of really thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start doing video game videos, you know, like I'm going to start doing it. I'm, I'm going to record. I'm going to get this all set up and and no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to who am I? Who's going to listen to me? That sort of thing, that kind of tug of war in, in my head between whether I should commit to it or not. And that was the real motivation to, to start going with that. Yes. And uh Thank you, by the way, for changing my YouTube recommends for a full week to Dark Souls videos. <laughs> there are a lot of them, aren't there? It's kind of like a rite of passage for video game YouTubers. You have to do Dark Souls at some point. And I guess we can start that because you chose a method to critique Dark Souls that I hadn't seen done before. You go almost as if it were a walkthrough. Yes, yes. Uh, that's something that I've only done a few times since then. And looking back, I don't know if it was just stupidity or ambition that, that, that I did it that way. When I do videos now, I typically go into the scripts having a good idea of what I want to say. When I started writing that one, the first one, I had no idea. I just knew that I wanted to point out specific moments in the game that I felt were unfair and match the criteria that the sequel was getting criticized for. And then I started writing and you know, like I've written, I've written books, so I'm very familiar with this. When you open the word processor and you see the evil blinking cursor that just stares back at you and it just blinks and every second it's blinking. It's like, yep, you're not writing. You're not writing. You're not writing. And that's what I met with after, you know, recording the game and, and, and getting into this writing the script. And what happened was is that I just felt like, OK, well, just start at the beginning. Just, just, just treat the playthrough as like a story almost, and just, just go for it. And there were rewrites, and I had to change things going from that. But what turned it turned into this just walkthrough of just go through the game, and when something becomes relevant. So like I, I got to, uh, I think it was Taurus Demons somewhere somewhere in the first level, and suddenly I realized this is a great time to delve into the combat system. You know, let, let's now let's talk about the combat system. It's its own topic, and I think that part where I go through how going through levels work and how all the encounters work, I'd already written that in a different Word file, and I couldn't find a way to fit it in. So, I, so then I was like, okay, let's let's slide this in, edit it to to smooth it over the transitions, and so it flows well. And the same goes for I think in that video, it's a long time now, it's, it's two years ago now. I'm trying to think. Um, when I got down to Blight Town. And I get to the, the bonfire in Blight Town, and I've gone there, and I start talking about the stamina bar and how that works with in comparison to 
uh, A Link to the Past or the old Super Nintendo games like uh, Secret of Mana. So it, it was a very kind of, um, we're going to have a guided tour of the game and we are going to talk about topics as they come up. And I, I like that format a lot, but it was very difficult. And you can see that I run out of steam at the end, <laughs> especially when I get to the last bosses, last levels in the DLC. It's sort of like a, am I even going to finish this? Is anyone going to watch it? Is anyone going to listen? And it's like, I've kind of exhausted all my topics. Let's just talk about how the DLC is good and, and, and then call it a day, which might be a flaw of that series. But looking back at my first go and like looking back, it was my first series and my first go at it. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. The audio quality isn't great. And if I would do it again now, I would do things a lot differently. But yeah, that it's an unusual way of doing it. I think the guided walkthrough. And you sort of kept with it with the other Soulsborne games as they came out, or just noticing the variations between the different games, but you still kept the step-by-step approach. Yes, for, for that series, definitely. I sometimes split the videos out. Uh, Dark Souls 3 got kind of the same treatment, but I, I split it out for Bloodborne and Dark Souls 2, which ironically, considering that's why I wanted to do the channel, I'm not particularly proud of those videos anymore, especially the second one. And I think the only other game I did it for was Diablo 3, I think. Diablo 3 was the only one I went through the whole game step-by-step and kind of did a commentary and spoke about topics as I got to them. Mm -hmm. And this just seemed like the natural style for these games. But were you familiar with, like, YouTube games criticism or gain any insights or influence from other people? Oh, yes, definitely. I was a near fanatical watcher of, of a lot of people on YouTube before I started it myself. The obvious influence would be Matthew Tosis, but I also watched a lot of Errant Signal, um, Mr. Beatung, and uh, Super Bunny Hop. Those, those are what I'd say were the, the four major ones. I was also very, I, I enjoyed uh, Sequelitis by Eager Raptor as well. I, I think a lot of people would cite that one, actually. That, that, that's a, the, the Mega Man one, especially, but also the Castlevania ones he did. Those, those were good, too. But the big ones for me yeah, were definitely Maximatosis, Errant Signal, Super Bunny Hop, and Mr. Beaton. Before we dive deep into your catalog, what is your process for making a video? Uh, do you want, from the very basically, how do I even pick a topic? Which, which game am I going to play? Your entire process. My entire process? Well, at first it was, very early on, it was, okay, I, I, I want to pick games that I've already played because uh, I, I want to be familiar with them already because then I have kind of like a home team advantage because I've already played them to death, especially Diablo 3. I had so many hours into that game. So then I kind of branched out a little bit, and it was a big step up to do Anno 2205 and... Fallout 4 especially. Fallout 4 was really kind of like a, a trial by fire to see if I could even do it, if, if I could take a new game and play it quickly enough to get a video of that style when the game was still relevant, which at that length isn't really done that often, or at least it wasn't to my knowledge back then. It's done a little bit more now with, uh, with, with some of the YouTubers that are coming out. I don't know if you know about Chris Davis. He he does some uh, some quite long videos on on newer games. And there's someone else right now who, who who I can't remember, which is kind of rude of me. But I'll probably think of it by the time I'm done talking about this. So to go back to the Fallout 4 example and the Anno 2205, those were games that I thought I would enjoy. So I thought, okay, well I, I've I've played these solid games before, so I think I will have something to say. And in Fallout 4's case, especially. I thought the game would be popular and people would want to hear about it. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll try that and I'll go through it. Now it's a mix between games that I really, really, really want to play and games that I think people want to hear about. So I'll choose them that way, but it's always a game that I think that I will at least connect with a little bit. And sometimes that doesn't work out. Uh, the Darkest Dungeon video is especially something that I looked at. And even knowing that I'm not a huge fan of turn-based RPGs or turn-based combat, I still thought I would enjoy it. I had seen some streamers play it, and I thought, okay, this, this looks cool. There's this town progression aspect that's tied to the combat and going on these dungeon runs. I thought I would enjoy it. So sometimes I'm wrong, <laughs> to put it lightly. But for the most part, I try to pick a game that I think I'm going to enjoy and people are going to hear about it. And then I just I just play it. I just dive right into it. I tried to go in not reading any reviews. I tried to go in not knowing anything about it apart from my first preliminary, do I think I'm going to enjoy it? Is this something that I think that I can get on board with? 
and then I will just play it and play it to death. Normally, I play games twice. Sometimes I play them three times. There have been a few games that I haven't done that. I only played The Witness once, which I think is a something that's unique to puzzle games. I just finished Steven's Sausage Roll, which is a very strange name game. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. And that's another puzzle game. And puzzle games, I don't think, really benefit much from multiple playthroughs in terms of noticing things. Like, once you've seen a puzzle, you've seen it. You know, you like you, that's the answer. Okay, I, I, I know what it is. And very grindy progression games, I don't feel benefit from multiple playthroughs, too, because... Well, there's, there's so much repetition in them that I only usually play them once. And then there's the case of No Man's Sky where I just didn't want to play it a second time. I'm not, I'm not doing that again, you know? So it's, but for the most part, it's, I play the games at least twice. And it's on the second playthrough that I really nail down what I think to the point that there have been times when, especially if it's a longer game like Dragon's Dogma. There have been times where, you know, I've played the game for about 50, 80, even sometimes 100 hours on one very thorough playthrough, and I have my pen and paper in front of me, and I make all my notes, and it's so many pages. Fallout 4 was so big that I actually had to make a reference system and and put the times down of when I was playing so I could go back and, and, and match the footage to what I did in the script, that it can go on for so long that sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do a second playthrough. I've had enough. And... Almost every single time I have fought against that instinct and I have played it a second time and I have never regretted it. It is it has always been the second playthrough that things really come together and I notice things that, hey, my initial observation was wrong and I was wrong to write that note and it's really good that I caught that. Or, oh, there's this mechanic that works in a completely different way than I realized or this was taught to you early on and I just didn't notice or it was invisible and I didn't realize that the game was preparing me for something that would happen later. So then after that's done and I I record both playthroughs and I, I start writing the script guided by my notes. Despite making such comprehensive notes, I rarely actually refer to them. They're more of a, like, like a backup for what I have in my head. But lately I've been playing multiple games concurrently, so the notes have been really helping with that. But in the past it's been one game, that's all I'm doing, and that's what I'm focused on. And the notes are really as there as a safety net. So then I write the script, and I will go back to the notes afterwards. Oh, did I miss anything? And chances are there's one or two things that I then go through the script and, and slot in. The script writing benefits a lot from the work I did writing books. It's the scripts are very long. Typically, they're up in the, the five digits in terms of word count. Uh, the longest one, I think, has been the Uncharted in the Last of Us video, which is maybe not fair to say that's so long because it's really four videos in one. So the Fallout 4, one year later, would probably be it. And that's that's around thirty thousand words, and that halfway long to novel. yeah, yeah, it's a, a long novella, or it's on its way to being a small novel. So that's where the, the the benefit from writing novels comes in, because I can I have so much experience just sitting here and just writing and writing and writing. And I don't know if I've just gotten lucky so far, but I find it very cathartic to write scripts compared to fiction. Fiction is a lot of there's a lot, it's, it's a very dense process and it's very slow going. And there's always, you have to reference back to what you've already written in the story. If it's a series, especially, would this character speak like that? Is this contradicting something? What's the plan for what's going to happen a hundred thousand words from now? If Again, if it's a long series, which is what I typically write in, whereas the scripts are very contained. It's, it's, it's like, especially if the game has been not so great to play, to put it politely, it's very much like I get to turn the tables and now, you know, like I get to fight back against this experience that I've had. That's not to say that it's always easy. That example I just did with Fallout 4 one year later, that script took me, with no exaggeration, probably 20 times longer than what it usually takes to write the scripts. I'm usually very fast at it. That took weeks and weeks instead of days. And what I try to do is is that it's sort of um, a stream of consciousness as I write. Someone said, I think it was Electron Dance. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his YouTube uh, his YouTube channel. He said to me that um, he he we watched each other's witness videos, and he said to me, "Your witness video sounds like you're just firing off the hip when you're really not." And that was one of the best compliments I've ever had because that's the exact style that I'm trying to go for. Very conversational, very topics flow from one to the other. And there are these planned points that I want to make, but it's sort of like you're not really supposed to notice that 
we've gone from one topic to the other most of the time. It's supposed to be this very fluid way of going through the game and the topics and, and the talking points. That is very natural for me to write like that. So I go through the game like that, and sometimes I have to make changes. And it's especially tricky when there are breaks in the video, like uh, the Breath of the Wild video. There, there are those part breaks because the video was so long that I felt that they were necessary. And what I tried to do is, is I tried to have like a, a lingering statement that feeds into the next part, especially with, with the music. And, and, and that's where it becomes a lot more complicated because it's not just words on the page. You have to remember as you're writing that, okay, well, there's going to be examples of, of the game playing and that's a tool that you can use and to keep attention. And sometimes maybe you should be quiet and just let the game speak for itself for a little bit. So you have to you have to keep that. And and what I do in the scripts, and I'm not sure if they end up going up, because I publish all the scripts on, on the blog and on Patreon. And I'm not sure if, if these notes end up going up on the scripts. I think some of them do, is that I'll just have a little note saying, you know, like, just show clip of, and, I'm not, and then I describe what happens in the clip of, of what I have in mind. So for that, there's often a referring back and forth to the footage that I have, and especially when it's very heavy on gameplay examples. So the Dark Souls 3 video has this part where I show all these issues with hitboxes, and I show all of these problems with some of the bosses and, and stuff like that. And it was very important to me that it wasn't just of me speaking vaguely about them, that, that I was actually directly commenting on them as they were happening. And that section of making sure that they matched up, that the footage was clear, because, you know, when you're fighting something in a game, it's not always as you remember it when you watch it back, that it actually did happen and makes sure that it was lined up. That part probably took me like, 10 times longer than any other part in that video, because I had to make sure that that was right and it matched how quickly I was speaking and that it, it, it was clear. And I look back at that now and it, and it looks good, but it's not, I, th I could still do better with that. And that's something that I'm, that I'm still learning about. After that, after writing, me and my wife read through the scripts. We read it out loud. We make changes. No one else reads it before we go into the next phase. Sometimes I post it early, but I don't take any feedback from anybody else. It just, it goes up and then I record it. That takes a long time. <laughs> and then I edit the audio to make sure it's cleaned up. And then I put the video together, which takes a very long time, sometimes longer than it took to play the game to make sure that all of the script has those examples matched up to it. And I think that is my long-winded explanation of what it is that I do to make them. Because I know you did that State of the Channel video. Yes. And in it, you explained part of your process, and I was just gobsmacked at the amount of just raw prep work you do for each single video. Yes. Well, it's good that you're gobsmacked because that means that it, it doesn't show. So that's good. But yeah, it, it is a lot. There's a, a lot goes into them for what occasionally feels like maybe I'm rambling into a microphone or I'm firing from the hip, as Electron Dance says, but that's that's part of it. That's part of the style. I think part of it is the fact that you play each of these super long, potentially 100-plus-hour games two or three times each. Yes, which I have to do it. Like like I said, there, there have been a few times where I really don't want to. The, the second run of the, uh, Dragon's Dogma was pretty... I, I really didn't want to do it. Same with some of the Fallout 4 stuff. I realized when I went back to Fallout 4 that I would have to do the DLC a second time each with a different character, which at the time I didn't have a save file and I wanted to make sure that I made different choices going into the DLC. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's listening, but I needed to test to make sure that decisions that you make in the base game, whether or not they affect the DLC. So I knew I had to play the whole game again, and that is a long game. So yeah, but it's, it's worth it. It really, I, I think that it's something that I have to do. And Every single time after I've done it, I never regret it. I'm always happy that I put the time in. We're kind of deep into this series on YouTubers and other video-based critics that this question has become less and less relevant over time, and yet I still receive interesting answers. But what do you feel video adds to the criticism? I think, hmm, I was going to say, and <laughs> I was going to say that I think the video is essential, but I don't think that's true because you can read movie reviews and you don't need the video to see what they're talking about and the visuals there of, of the game are the same way, but video games are 
are a lot more complicated, and I think you get more out of seeing how the game is played. I remember the first time, and this is a long time ago, that I found the, the website uh, Game Trailers and, and watched their reviews, and it was just, and I knew right away that this is what I wanted every game review to be from then on. I wanted to see the game when I'm hearing about it because it just added so much more. I get to see how it plays a little bit. You know, it's, it's, it's the closest you get to picking up the controller without actually picking up the controller. For me, with the videos, it's that I can reinforce every point that I make with an example without always having to stop and say, for example, and then spell it out. I still do that because it's, it's very important with some points to, to really hammer them home, but it, it makes it so I can say something, make sure the, the footage is matching with it, and there's the proof that's backing up what I'm saying. I think that some people or quite a lot of people actually, don't watch the videos. They only listen to them. And there are some comments that I get sometimes that dispute some of the things that I say, and they don't realize that there is a portion of the video that is playing that is showing that it's true. Not to say that I'm always right or anything. I do make mistakes. But that happens a lot, where there is proof on the screen that, that they miss. I do think that it's not always necessary, and I think that I'm a little obsessive about making sure that there's always a visual representation of what I'm saying during the video. When I, I get very upset when I can't find something, <laughs> and uh, I, I try, and that's when I usually resort to some sort of visual gag or something that I do. In the State of the Channel video, I did the the Breath of the Wild, but it's Skyrim character with with the Link get up on that sort of thing. Sometimes the visuals that are going on match accidentally, and, and that's very strange to me that that happens so often. It's I wonder if, if you um, kind of see something that isn't there when you're looking for it, but yeah, it's kind of weird. There is a part in the Fallout 4 video, the first one the, that I did way back, you know, almost two years ago now, where I emphasize the word everyone, and as I do it, a character in the game says everyone like that, and that was a complete accident. And looking back when I watched that video, I'm like, yeah, sometimes that happens. It's not always deliberate. But then there's stuff like, you know, this game has a lot of balance problems, and I showed the bugged out seesaw that's going crazy, and sometimes people don't catch that, and other times they think it's really funny. So I think... <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't notice that one. No, you didn't? Yeah. That, no. Yeah. This game has a lot of balance problems, and there's the seesaw that's just completely, like... Yeah, it looks like it's listening to dubstep. It's going nuts on the screen. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, so that adds a lot to it, I think. Yeah, I, I did notice that over the course of well, your career in your channel that you got better with the jokes, but that was mainly with, like, the pacing of them because early on you'd state things so quickly that I'd spend the next 15 seconds. Wait, was that a joke? <laughs> I, I, it, it, I think it was a joke because it doesn't make sense otherwise, but by that you've already moved on and my brain hasn't caught up to the point that maybe you should have reacted to the joke. But then I noticed like 10 or 12 videos later, he said, and I, I actually laughed at what was supposed to be a joke. He says he's gotten better at the actual presentation there. He can actually tell the joke better. There's like a change in your lilt or in your pacing when you know it's coming up. Instead yeah. of like the flat monotone that you you started out early with. Oh yeah, my my, my presentation and delivery was terrible at the beginning. I, I and, and I will say that word mean it terrible. It, not just the microphone quality either, but how I speak and how I was reading the script. I also talked way too fast. There was a video that we were so worried about that. I think it was the last Dark Souls two video that <laughs> this is. I have to say it now. I had my cell phone on my desk and my wife was in the bedroom so we couldn't hear the noise and she had her cell phone and we had a phone call and she would tell me if I was speaking too fast with, without really interrupting it because I, I struggled so much with it. Yeah, the, the, the deadpan humor, some people really liked and they and that's another thing where it wasn't always intentional. Sometimes it was, but sometimes it's just my bad delivery. Other times, it's it's meant to be the, the deadpan humor. But my style has changed a lot, too. The I, I feel bad looking back and watching the Blizzard videos, especially. I, I love Blizzard. I, I, World of Warcraft is the game I have played more than any other, maybe even more than all the other games combined. I have played World of Warcraft a lot 
and I'm very positive about Blizzard, and, and I really like their games. And yet, the Diablo 3 video, I am very condescending. I am very inflammatory. And same with the Hearthstone video. And I, th- I was still experimenting with styles back then. And it was very awkward when a Blizzard dev followed me on Twitter. And I had to explain to them, if you go back and watch those videos, I'm very sorry. You know, like I, I'm a lot more respectful now. And, that, and that's like two of my rules for the, for the channel now is to try to be respectful and that jokes can never, ever get in the way of the point that I'm making. The joke has to be either something that reinforces the point or it serves as a quick break from what I just said before we move on to another topic or it has to be something visual that it doesn't that it doesn't interrupt it i know it sounds kind of bland that there are there are rules about jokes but it's important to me that the channel doesn't become another youtube channel that makes jokes and is constantly quoting memes and trying to be edgy and funny at every single moment that's very funny and and there are channels that i very much enjoy that are like that but i don't want to be like that yeah on that concept i wish i knew which video I had a page of notes, and I accidentally threw them out when I first watched your videos. Okay. And it really annoys me, so I had to try and remember what it was. But you said something to the effect of you sound negative towards games you like, and you sound positive towards games you didn't like because you wanted, in some way, the creators and the medium to improve. Oh, right. I think it's in the Dark Souls 3 video toward the end. I'm surprised that I remember this. It's that I will... It's something that I tend to do. I go into a good game and I try to find something that could be done better. And I will go into a bad game and I'll try and find something that's good and salvageable, that, that they did well. Yeah, that is something that, that, that I try to do. Sometimes that doesn't work and it would be dishonest to do that exclusively. But I think there is always something good in any game. Maybe not some of the shovelware that's on Steam that is specifically designed to trick people to spending their money. But any legitimate game, no matter how bad, there's, there's something good in it. And any legitimate game, no matter how much it's great and close to a masterpiece, there's always something that could be done a little better. And, and I think it's important to to do that. And some people, not even some people, a, a, a few people don't understand that you can love something and really do genuinely love something and still find flaws in it and still find that, hey, this could be done better, and there's ways that this could improve. And that's understandable. People really do get attached to the things that that they love, too. And I understand where they're coming from. I think part of what this quote stuck out to me for was the fact that it was in response to some uh, comments on your earlier work, in that people said, oh, you must have hated this game because you're so down on it, and just like you're trying to explain, or some self-realization of how you work. Yes, it, it was. It wears me down a little bit that you know. Oh, there's been comments. You know, does does Joseph Anderson even like any games? You know, like you know, even even Bloodborne, which might be my favorite game, like top, it's top five for me easily. And you know, the, people watched those videos that I did on it, and wow, he hated it. And I'm reading them, and I'm going, no, I, no, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I loved it. And it's like, oh well, maybe. They don't see that. They see what I said instead of my intention. And it's it's hard to... Receiving criticism is difficult, not because it's difficult to hear. It's difficult to understand and realize what is something you should actually listen to or what is something that someone didn't understand the point. And that sounds arrogant as all hell, and usually it's not that one. It's It's that you have to figure out what they're trying to say and whether you should listen to it or not. Usually, if enough people are saying it, they're right. But stuff like that, it's like, okay, well, was I too negative or are they defensive about the game? And that's something that I think everyone that creates something is going to struggle with and realizing what they should be paying attention to or not. Due to the length of your videos, do you feel like you've managed to get everything you have to say about a game into them? No. That might surprise some people, but no. There's always something that I leave out or I cut or I edit out. Even the video, I, the script I just finished on Prey is very long. It's between 80 to 90 minutes, and there are several points that I have to leave out. I couldn't find a way to fit them naturally into the script, and some of them are fairly important. They're, um, again, spoilers, I don't want to say too much. There are things that I thought were mysteriously underdeveloped, and that sounds kind of ominous, but there's a mention of a facility somewhere in the game 
that has a lot of mystery tied around it. And I was very much looking forward to this being revealed as a big thing toward the end of the game. And it's never brought up again. There's things like that. There's, there's, there's comments like that where I let it go because I couldn't find a way to, to put it in. Unfortunately, this happens a lot when I've already finished the video and I watch it back weeks or months later. And I will realize, oh, I forgot to say that part that was really important. So returning to the game was was good for that for Fallout 4 because there was a lot of commentary on the combat that I just didn't go into in the first one. And I was really happy to have a, a chance to go back to it in the second video and really say what I wanted to about that. So there's always something that I look back and think I could have done that better. I could have expanded on that more. So, yeah, like, yeah, despite the videos being so long, there's almost always something that I leave out. Do you feel that, like, you have overall thesis and theses toward whichever the plural is, towards <laughs> the games in your video, or do you just sort of shotgun approach it and have and just, like, comment on multiple categories? Do you mean, do I go into the, the script writing process thinking that I need to cover, like, graphics, gameplay, sound, that sort of thing? No, or? more like, you said, like, I have an overall thesis about this game, or do you feel like, no, I don't have one thesis, and I'm going to block them off into where everything fits in, like, multiple theses? The <laughs> I would say almost always the latter, almost always that. I like to think that most of the scripts and videos have one sort of unified purpose, but video games are so big and so complicated, and there's so much to talk about. And often there are parts within the game itself that are very segregated, gameplay and story especially. So it's it's kind of hard to always have this, this unified approach to that. So yeah, I, I would say that it's, it's usually multiple topics that I move between, and I try to make them fit as best as I can. But yeah, sometimes the videos themselves even get split. Uh, Uncharted gameplay and story gets, gets split aside, and I really like doing it that way. I, I thought that I could, I could stay more focused on each part of that game by doing it like that. I only ask because I've noticed over the course of many YouTube critics that they start out with like overviews of a single work, but as the months and years go on, what they tend to do is that they tend to then focus down part of the work from a particular angle or from a particular thesis, and then pretty much excise the rest from their argument. And I was curious what the length does to that evolution. Well, the videos tend to be very long. Usually I have a lot to say, but the videos also tend to be very long, and this is something that a lot of people don't like because I uh, recap a lot of the game. And I definitely understand why some people don't like it. But when I go into these videos and looking at the channel and knowing that it takes so long to make these videos that they have to stand the test of time. And not just in terms of always being relevant, but in terms of someone might watch the video years from now that hasn't played the game. And I need to make sure that we're all on the same page, especially when it comes to the story. I don't hear very much criticism when I recap the gameplay because that serves as kind of like a bedrock for explaining it. You, you, okay, here's how it works or how I understand how it works. So even if you disagree with me, you can still see where I'm coming from. It's like when you were doing math in school and if, if you show your work, you, you still get some points even if your answer is wrong. It's, it's, it's that kind of thing. But the videos tend to be very long because I always want to back up whatever I'm saying with evidence so I can show that work. And some people really don't like that with the story sections especially, but for me, it's kind of like, okay, he, here's all of the details that we are going to go back and harvest almost, and here's what we're going to capitalize on, and here's what we're going to expand on. And the Edith Finch video that I just did especially has like this long period where I go through the whole story, and there are many moments where I have my own interpretation of what just happened and here's some commentary and here is some things that you might have missed or here's what I think about it. But for a large part, it's just going through the whole thing and, and seeing what it is. But then it makes the last half of the video so much stronger because I know that I don't have to explain things and say, oh, there's this part in this game where this happens. It's like, no, I can just go right back to it and show it and be like, Remember what we did? Well, here's what it means, and here are all the implications of that. Again, trying to be vague because I don't want to spoil it. That's, that's a good one. You should uh, play what, what remains of you if you haven't. Yeah, I'm trying to schedule time for it. 
among many other games. It's pretty short, but yeah, I, I understand the struggle. Would you say that you're more interested in systems than anything else? Not just because you spend a large, larger portion of the time on them, but it seems that you're very mechanistic in your evaluations and your analysis. Yeah, I, sometimes I think that. I go back and forth. I find it very difficult to to speak about game mechanics, or at least I did at the beginning. It, it was quite quite a struggle, and that's sort of where the idea of... Okay, so, so it was during the Diablo 3 video that I was writing the script, and I had this thought of, do I know what I'm talking about? Like, who, who am I? Again, it's, it's the same struggle early on that I think a lot of people are going to go through. Who should, who's going to listen to me and why should they even listen to me? What if I'm wrong? You know, like, what, what, what if I'm mistaken here? And the realization that I came to that has stuck with me the whole time is that as long as I can prove in some way how I got to my conclusion, I can say whatever I want. And when it comes to providing that proof, it is very difficult to do that with game mechanics because they're not so easy. It's not just because they're a little abstract sometimes and the whole game revolves around them and they have very interlinked systems and, and everything kind of feeds into each other, but also because most people don't really talk about mechanics, especially when you see discussion boards, uh, a discussion on some boards on, on, online. You see a lot of story discussion. You say, oh, this was fun. I really enjoyed this part. I like the boss battles. But they don't say why they like the boss battles. They don't say why they like the combat or the set pieces or whatever it is that they're enjoying. Whereas when you see people discussing the story, oh, I like this character. I like that they did this. I like that this happened. I like this moment. They can explain why. And I'm not sure if that's just a lack of language or just like a lack of terminology rather when it comes to mechanics or it's just a lack of experience. A lot of people aren't doing it, but I feel that definitely that I find it very challenging to speak about mechanics. And I think that's why I like it so much. It's, it's very, it's like putting a puzzle together. You're looking at it and going, okay, well, I ask myself those same questions. I play the game and, and I think, okay, well, why did I like this? Or why did I not like this? Why was this bad? Why did this feel good? Why did this feel bad? Why did I really enjoy this boss when it's not really that different from this other boss? Like Questions like that. And you can really peel layers back and get to the heart of that. And like I said, it's, it's, I'm not always right, but I, I feel like I come to a conclusion that I can point to and feel like I'm on solid ground, that, that I've explained it well. And I really like doing that. But for me, I also love stories. So, and I find stories very easy to speak about and, and to pull apart compared to game mechanics or easier. It's not easy, but it's easier. But most of the conclusions that I come to are that I like both equally and I'm always looking for ways that games combine the two. And I'm always looking for ways in my head that I'm, that I'm playing the game and I'm thinking, okay, well, how could they have made them intersect more? How could gameplay made the story more relevant or vice versa? That sort of thing. So, I know sometimes it may appear like I am very mechanically focused, especially on Souls, the Souls series, because I don't think that the Souls series has a story, which <laughs> a lot of people don't agree with. So that, that may appear like that, whereas there will be another video where I talk about the story for a very long time. And I see people speak about, you know, in, in comments, and it's, it's very telling whether or not, like what videos they've watched that I've done, because sometimes they'll say, well... Joseph Anderson only cares about story. He never talks about mechanics. And then there'll be someone a couple comments down saying, Joseph Anderson only cares about mechanics. He doesn't speak about story at all. And it's like, oh, I, I can see what's happened. But yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I don't see it as like you only care about one or the other. I see it more of it as a approach to how you do, how you do things. Because like, I watch your videos, and of course I have my own thoughts on how well you're doing any particular section as any viewer does mm -hmm. and it seems to me that you always felt more at home with something that's easily pulled apart mostly in systems and mechanics and and simple stories like simple traditional based narratives but as soon as you get outside of that that scope it seems you you struggle a bit with more experiential style games or simply something that doesn't present itself along the traditional narrative like an uncharted would yeah, for me, it comes back to the idea that having written stories myself, I want there to be 
an answer in the writer's mind. And it may be very presumptuous to sometimes just draw a line in the sand with something like Inside or Little Nightmares that I think that there is no answer. That, like The writer is just throwing things and just seeing what happens, what fits with the gameplay, what fits with the atmosphere, what fits with the mood, and is letting the players decide for themselves, which is great for a lot of people. And I think a while ago I would have enjoyed it too, but now I look at that and I think I want there to be something behind it, I think. Yeah. So the Soulsborne games gave you like a huge base of material that you work for, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I got... From what I understood, it's like No Man's Sky video is, is around the time when your channel just blew up. Yes, yes. The, the No Man's Sky... Okay, so so the videos that, that did very, very well, the first one that did, did amazing was the Hearthstone video. The Hearthstone video got posted on the Hearthstone subreddit, and I don't even think I had a thousand subs at that point. And it's that was a that was a weird day. It was it was the day that we took my my first son out to to meet my wife's family, and I posted that video that morning, and we left. And the whole time that that was just booming in views, we weren't here, so I had no idea that that was going on. And then we came back, I think, ten hours later, and it's gotten more views than any of my other, all of my other videos combined. And it's been sitting at the top of this really active subreddit for the whole day. So that was the first time that the, the channel like bumped in many, many subscribers. After that, Souls helped a lot. And usually the Souls videos are a big bump. The Fallout 4 video did very well as well. The Witness video did okay when it first went up, but that will be relevant later. And then things kind of were steady until No Man's Sky, which, yeah, which was insane. Just... It was on the top of um, the R Game subreddit for I think a full day and a half, something like that. So many thousands of upvotes, so many comments, um, so many people watched that video. People that I knew about and, and respected, Angry Joe watched that video and retweeted it. Notch watched that video and and, and tweeted out, you know, that that was insane. And I went from 15,000 subscribers to I think 45,000 in that week, which was just mental, just unbelievable. But what was even bigger came about a month later, YouTube's suggestion algorithm started promoting the Witness video. It started promoting a couple of other videos too, the Last of Us and the Uncharted one as well. I have no idea why the Witness did so well. I suspect it might be the thumbnail, how pretty the thumbnail is, but that started getting thousands and thousands and thousands of views an hour and kept getting recommended. And that is my most watched video now. It's almost at 2 million views. And that's where I think the lion's share of all the subscribers have come from is that video being constantly promoted. And then after, and the Soma video did well after No Man's Sky as well. Those have been the big heavy hitters for channel growth. Yeah, I, I was actually wondering about it because I heard that the story No Man's Sky, especially with the parody video that it apparently inspired was the one that blew up. But I'm looking at like the witness video and it has almost three times as many views. Yeah, yeah. The wit the witness is so. is, is is crazy, and that that parody video is is yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just the mystery of YouTube algorithms that yeah it helped. And that makes me lose some sleep at night sometimes. You know, like like that and the No Man's Sky video. There's I think about the No Man's Sky video a lot, and I think about how. What if I hadn't got the ending that that had? What if I had not pushed on to finish it? What if I hadn't played it at all? What if I thought, oh, well, I'm starting this game like months after it was released. You know, I've missed the boat. You know, that sort of thing. What if the top comment on the Reddit thread wasn't, oh, my God, I can't believe how good the ending is. You should really watch it. You know what I mean? Like there's all these things that compounded into it that would have resulted in that video not doing as well as it did. So and the same with the Witness video. If, if that hadn't been suggested to a lot of people or if I am right and I had chosen a different thumbnail because it's a very pretty thumbnail, maybe it wouldn't have gotten that amount of views. But yeah, that's it's kind of funny to think about it that way. Would you have been more positive on it had you played it a second time? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I don't think so, though. <laughs> You've mentioned several times being an author, and I think this is one of the few times where I actually get to talk with someone who is, but just go into that. Well, we should put some inverted commas above author. I'm a self-published author, so for a lot of people that will not be genuine, and that's fine. Some days I even I agree with that. I've written a lot of books. 
And that was an, the other half of, of starting the YouTube channel was that there's a big risk to, to, to go with that. I knew that I couldn't write while after my wife had the baby and I knew that it was just, it just wasn't going to happen. I need, I need the uninterrupted really focused time to, to, to get through a book. I need to write every day. I need to be writing for many hours a day. Script writing doesn't really require that, but fiction does. So I thought, okay, well, there's been this idea kicking around in my head for a long time to do this video on dark souls and see where it goes. And so I thought, okay, well, this is a good time to have a project to do while the baby is asleep or when there's some downtime, which there wasn't much of, but still there was some there. Yeah. And the idea was that to promote the books, to have this, because that's what I kept hearing back when I was trying to get an agent was what's your online presence? How are you going to market this book? How are you going to promote it? And me with my five Twitter followers wasn't really going to cut it. The books had sold quite a bit. I had a moderate amount of success with the books, especially early on. But that kind of dwindled as Amazon changed its algorithm, kind of like YouTube changed it to benefit me. So it kind of balanced out a little bit. So that was it. So the idea that me and my wife had was that, okay, this is a bit of a gamble, but the channel might turn into something. It might not. If, if anything, it, it'll be something that we can link the books to. And at the very least, if it does well, there will be this online platform. And in our head, we had, okay, if we ever get to 10,000 subscribers a, a year from now, then we will, that, that will be a lot to attract an agent. And we can, and we can send the books out and say, Hey, look, we have all these, all these people that want to read the books. And that, and that was the idea. That was our safety net, which turned out to not happen at all. And the, the channel turned into its own big thing. And eventually I stopped promoting the books and didn't even really mention them that much. But I really miss it. I, I can't really write at the moment when the channel is taking up so much of my time. But uh, I, I miss it a lot. I've written at least 10 novels. Some of them are a little hard to judge because they're a part of a series. So there'll be something like the titles are, are very generic. So I'll have like Bounty Hunter Series 3. And there are six stories in that series. And a couple of them are standalone novels that could be by themselves because they're quite long. So, yeah, I've written a lot and, and I miss it just as much. For the record... Between me emailing you and us recording this interview, you went up by 7,000 subscribers. Yes, yeah. The, the channel is, is a monster, and that is something that I still haven't come to terms with. I, I spoke about that in, in the State of the Channel video, and it, it may seem kind of trite. Is trite the right word? It may seem kind of trite to, to say that I, I still feel like the small YouTuber, but I, I really do. There, there's another YouTuber that I speak to, Shammy. Have you heard of him? His, his, no. He's a, he's a funny reviewer, and he's very funny. He's, he's very good at what he does. And he had a similar spike in growth that I did. His was even more abrupt than mine. He, he, I think he gained somewhere in the range of 80,000 subscribers in one month. And we speak on some chat programs sometimes, and, and we think, you know, well, how did we get here? How do we have this many followers? I actually have to – I have a rule that I have to – let my wife read everything that I tweet out before I tweet it because there was one night where I tweeted some things out and I didn't realize how many people 4,000 people is. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I immediately regretted it and I was like, oh no. And I'm constantly terrified that there's going to be an awful spelling mistake or my son is going to bash the keyboard and, and type something awful and, and send it out. Just the other week I, I woke up and I came to the computer and he had the disc format menu open and yeah and i don't think he could have he, there's no way he could have got it running but yeah that's that's the kind of fear that i wake up to sometimes but yeah i i i have no idea where everyone keeps coming from and where the subscribers are coming from and the patreon support that came out with with that video could just just smashed all of my expectations i thought that okay, there's probably a few people that might not know about the Patreon who like my work, and it might go up by maybe 100 to $200. And it went up by almost 3000 And there is a point where my wife and I were looking at the numbers, and we were like, okay, well, where is it going to stop? And we thought a conservative estimate would be that it would stop at around 2200 after it was going booming, and it's almost at 4000 now. So... Yeah, that that is like the subscribers. It is it is surreal, and there are a lot of times where I think I'm going to wake up, and it's not like and the whole thing has been some sort of dream. Yeah, 
when we talk about size, it's all relative because by you are by far the I believe the largest YouTuber I've managed, like individual YouTuber I've managed to have on this podcast. But at the same time, we've been this conversation was going around when a uh, Dunkey released his his uh, games criticism video. Mm-hmm. And about, and he says, like, well, he has 3.2 million followers, and I just, and I, I remember everyone was talking about those various things, and I had a single point in my mind about that video where he's talking about, you know me, you know what my uh, evaluations are worth based upon my previous work, and all I could think was, I never heard of you before. <laughs> really? You, you never heard of Dunkey before? The, he was, this was the first wow. time I ever heard his name mentioned, let, like, even referenced. He was a, his entire presence was a void to me. But at the same time, it's just, when I was trying to email you, I'm thinking, this is going to be hard, especially since he just released a video about how he can't get through all of his emails and trying to get the attention of someone even with 150,000 followers. It's like, on you, subscribe on YouTube, and it's realized, I don't know how I'm going to puncture through just to, just to get that, that reference. But at the same time, even compared to Dunkey, your small potatoes, who in turn is small potatoes to other things, yeah. and it's just closed spheres. It's mind blowing how how the numbers scale. It's 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 crazy. I know, like some of the other people I interviewed have like a thousand followers or fifteen thousand followers, and then just and they've been doing it for so for so long that it's just it feels like a roulette wheel. I think yeah, definitely. It's it's very much based on luck and. Again, keeps me up at night. Like, how, how, how does how does it work? Could could things have gone the other way? It's also weird to think of your audience when you were small and you were looking ahead at someone who had fewer subscribers than I do now. But when I was first starting out, they were gigantic. It was looking at them and going, "Oh, imagine having that many people." And now I have more than that, and it's crazy how how, how it scales. And I don't I don't even know what it would be like to have millions of subscribers and and still going up too. I, I think I, I was watching Dunkey's videos about a year ago and I don't think he was close to 3 million subscribers. So he, it keeps going up like crazy for him. I, I actually don't know how to proceed from that because it, it's just, it's also worth noting that you don't like try and chase the algorithm that I see a lot of other much like quote unquote more successful YouTubers with much more, with like larger numbers that they keep trying to follow the algorithm. They put a lot of material out. And I sometimes like cross those YouTubers and I say, this doesn't interest me. It doesn't have the work put into it or doesn't seem like it has as much work put into it because it's the shotgun approach. It's put as much out there as possible for the, to catch the algorithm. But you, it's like you put like, I think it's like at best, once a month, maybe, and they're huge. They're in detail and they're long, but you've reached this point of like, self-sustainability in that model. I, I think for me, well, for starters, I wouldn't even know the first thing about chasing an algorithm. <laughs> so it's, it's not. There are YouTube videos that explain it. It's, so it's not like I'm, I'm some person who's sitting here. I'm I'm above that. I don't know how to do it. So like, you know, I wouldn't even know where to start. But. I need to be interested in what I'm doing. And like, I can say that about every video. There have been times where I didn't want to play the game anymore and I still did it. But when it comes to making the video and, and putting it out there, there has never been a single moment that I've been like, I'm just making this video just to make a video. You know, like I, there's always something that I want to say. And there have been games that I've realized that I don't have anything to say and I just don't do it or it's, it's not coming out right. I'm not excited anymore. Um, so I just I just do something else instead, which might be bad, but it's only half about being honest and enthusiastic. But the other half is that if I'm not interested, I won't do the work. And I know what I'm like, and and I know that I won't be able to sit there for however many hours, you know, clipping out every single time that I inhaled out of the audio and making sure that. You know, every single time that a car drove by that I cut that part out and getting that right and making sure that this video clip matches perfectly and busting over this one minute part that took like four hours to make, you know, like 
or in the Hearthstone video, making sure that there was a big long part where it's just the same cards being played relentlessly over and over and over for only like I think a minute of, of footage in the video, but that took a a day that took a whole day you know but i needed that to happen like i was invested and i and that's that was important to me and yeah so if, if that's not a part of it then i don't think i could do it and i don't know maybe that makes me impatient i don't know what what, what that makes me there's some character flaw there that i can't do it unless i really want to i don't know what it is the man who makes hour-long youtube videos is impatient <laughs> I don't know. There's definitely there's definitely something wrong with me there. That yeah, I I feel like I should be able to do it, but yeah, I need to be really engaged. So, what is your favorite video game of all time? Well, I mentioned Bloodborne earlier, and I don't know why, but I I kind of thought that you were going to ask this question. So I've been I've been thinking about it a little <laughs> bit, and I and I had this whole thing in my head, and it's like, okay, well, does favorite mean the most important? Because the most important movie to me is Fight Club. Is that my favorite movie? Probably not. But it's the most important to me because that was the first movie I ever watched. And I was like, I didn't even know stories could be told like that. I was a very young young teenager and I was watching that. And it just blew my mind that, that a story could incorporate a narrator and all these creative scenes and all, all this other stuff. And so that was the most important to me. But I wouldn't say it's my favorite. I would say that the most important game to me is Chrono Trigger because that was just, I just fell in love with that game as a kid and I played it to death. And for a long time, I replayed every single year and just, just to experience it again and never got tired of it. Is it my favorite game? I don't know. I, ha I stopped doing the yearly run-throughs around just before I did the channel. I think the last time that I played it was the, the Nintendo DS version that got released. Is it my favorite game? I don't know. My, my favorite game might be Bloodborne now, which is weird because it's a, it's a very recent game, and I go back and forth on it. But my top five would be Chrono Trigger, Bloodborne, Shadow of the Colossus, and then after that, it gets a little, a little difficult to nail down. But I'm going to go with Bloodborne as my favorite game at the moment. I was actually worried when the way you phrased that answer when talking about Bloodborne earlier. It's just, oh, am I going to have to skip my final question? <laughs> Although it's gotten less of a surprise and an outrage when I ask it as people sort of catch on. Yeah, he's going to ask that question. He does it every time. <laughs> well, I hope that's a good answer. Mm -hmm. Well, tell the people where they can find you and your work. You can find me on YouTube. My channel name is Joseph Anderson. The channel URL is just a mangled bunch of letters and numbers, though, because I don't know how to fix that. So you might have to just type my name into the search bar. And if you want to start with a video, I highly suggest the one on No Man's Sky. That is probably the one that you will like the most. And that's it, I think. No, it isn't. It's not? You have a Patreon? Oh, I do. Sorry, self-promotion and everything. I also have a Patreon under the same name. You can look at that if, if you're interested, but please watch the videos first to make sure that I make stuff that you like and that you want to see more of it. And I have Twitter as well. You can you can find me on Twitter, uh, JPH uh, underscore Anderson. Amazon. <laughs> Amazon. I have I have books on Amazon. They are currently Kindle only, so they're electronic ebook only. I have fantasy and science fiction books. If you want to start with fantasy, start with The Wizard and the Dragon. That is the first novel I ever wrote, and it is pretty good. And there are science fiction books as well, the Bounty Hunter series, which is also pretty good. They get a lot better as they go on, but the first one is has been rewritten, and it's also – I like those stories. But you also may want to wait until September or October. There will be a physical release book of The Wizard and the Dragon paperback. So if you prefer to actually have a book in your hands, then you can wait for that. It's going to have a shiny new cover and everything. It's currently being made. I believe your icon is the cover of that book, isn't it? Yes, and it will be changing with the new cover, I think, which I think some people are going to be upset about because there will be a new dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and if you listening out there like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps with the algorithms and all, and we know how fickle those are. And if you like this podcast and all the other work we do at Critical Distance, please consider supporting our Patreon at patreon.com slash critdistance. We especially would like to thank our supporters, Ashcan D, Asmund A, Brendan V, David K, Joe O, Nathan G, 
Ted D and Thane A. Thank you very much for supporting us. And thank you, Joseph, for spending the time and coming on. Thank you very much for having me. This was my first interview and it was very painless. Thank you for making it that way. You're very welcome to Ben Black. <laughs>